Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Um, you guys, we are going to jump right in because I just I want to capitalize on the time I have. Obviously, we're in a series right now, right? So this is part two of this series with Joe Lumen. So part one, if you haven't heard it, make sure you listen to that first. Joe kind of introduced us to her, her process, her story, her world. And now we're going to get into, okay, what did that do? What kind of things did that end up creating? What kind of things did Joe find? I'm so stoked for you to hear from her on this. Again, she has permission to say whatever she wants, however she wants to say it. Full autonomy there for her to get to express herself however she sees fit. Um, and we all just get to work out. Okay, what are you going to do with that now? This is what she thinks. This is what she believes. Joe, thank you so much again for being here. Love your work and what you're doing. Uh, thanks for sharing your story at our last episode. So um, I know there's so many directions that we could go right now on you know what that did. I guess I want to open up just stepping into the next part of this. What are some of the initial things that came up that you had to dismantle? Things you started recognizing. You're like, oh my God, this is awful. And you know, words like abuse and toxic, right? And those kinds of things started coming up. What came up first? What were your initial like hangups? What was that like? What did you find? Please yeah. tell us all about it. Yeah. So one of the one of the first things that I started thinking through, my ancestors are the Chipcha people of Colombia. And my grandpa is um, it's an indigenous man in Colombia. And I was raised to believe that we were supposed to be grateful for colonization and grateful for Catholicism coming and, you know, making people become Christians. And I started reading a little bit more about that. And I started learning a lot about different theologies all over the world. I started learning about the Vedas, which was really interesting for me. The Vedas are the Hindu um, scriptures. Um, and I started, I, I didn't know, I didn't, I see like, this is how ignorant I was about anything outside of Christianity. I didn't know the Vedas are older than all of the Christian narratives. And they also claim to be the word of divinity, the word of God. The, the Bible doesn't claim to do that, but um, the Vedas did. And I was like, okay, well, why would they be wrong? And why would we be right about that? So I started looking at that and I started looking at narratives of um, indigenous people all over South America, obviously including the Chipcha people, and recognizing how much self-hatred you internalize when you are told that your ancestors were evil. Um, and I started thinking, but why were they evil? Just because they didn't believe the same things? Just because they didn't have access to this narrative of Christianity? I started wondering what the role of theology was all throughout the world. And I realized that theology has had mainly two roles in history. Uh, one of them has been as a tool of liberation for people to be able to explain their experience as humans and for able for them to be able to move toward a more wholesome and better experience as humans. Um, that is the case for sure for, for Judaism. Uh, if you look at Second Temple Judaism, which is what happens after the first temple is destroyed, Second Temple Judaism is very different than what we have in the ancient Hebrew narratives. The, you know, Judaism has evolved and changed through time. 
And so if you look at that, they were writing, you look at all of the minor prophets, you look at all of the apocalyptic language of the apocalyptic narratives of Judaism, and you realize that they were trying to make sense of their oppression. How can a good God allow for us to be oppressed by all of these different empires, Babylonians, Assyrians, Hellenistic period? How can we be oppressed if we serve a good God? And they are trying to answer you know, the problem of evil. They are trying to answer that question. And theology offers an answer for them, a way to understand who they are in the world, what their role in this, you know, what, why are we here? Why, why are we in the world? There is so much suffering. What is the purpose of all of this? And theology was offering that. And that is the case for a lot of theology all over the world. Now, that's not the only role theology has played in history. There is also another side of theology, which has been a weapon of oppression. Um, because it's really easy to manipulate people and convince people that the powerful have access to God and you do not. And therefore, you have to do what the powerful tell you to do because God is actually telling you to do it. And when I was reading about all these things and uh, reading about systems of oppression and reading about how systems of oppression have worked historically, I started recognizing a lot of the faith that I had been given exactly as a system of oppression, as a weapon of a system of oppression. I started realizing that a lot of the language, a lot of the things that I had been told were grooming language, like grooming mechanisms to get me to tolerate abusive realities. Uh, ideas like women have to be submissive to men. Uh, you know, they sounded great inside of complementarian theology because complementarian theology says, no, it's not that women are less than, it's just that we have different roles. And the role that men have is that they have to be over women. <laughs> so, so you, but that is grooming language to get us to tolerate abuse. And I learned that the reality that you give children from the age of zero to seven becomes their reality. That is reality. They compare everything that you give them, every, any new information that you give children is going to be compared to what they learn from zero to seven. So if that young, you learn that Christianity is the only true religion, then you start looking at everybody else's religion as less than. You start, if you are told that men are supposed to be the leaders, then you start looking at yourself as a woman, as someone that has to be under men in some ways. And that is no different than I recognized, and this is going to be really hard to hear, but that's what happened in my head. I said, how is it different to tell people Christianity is better than your religion than to tell them that white people are better than black people? What is the difference? There is no evidence of either. What is the difference? Because both of them became truths only because of who had power. Christians had power because of the Roman Empire becoming, uh, because of Christianity becoming the official religion of the Roman Empire. And white people had power here because of militaristic power that they had. That's it. And so I started recognizing that all of these were just supremacy narratives. So Christianity in the West, Christianity in um, the Christianity that we've been handed down is just a weapon of supremacy culture is just a way of teaching people you're better than them. Can you unpack for the people listening who maybe haven't been as yeah. up to speed on some of this terminology? So just briefly, how would, what do you define supremacy culture as? What does that entail? I mean, because some of that, I think like, oh, this, I get it right away right now, but it took me a minute to learn yeah. some of this. So could you unpack that for some of them? Yeah. Supremacy culture is any culture where there is a very distinct hierarchical system where some people are considered better than for things that they cannot control, like the color of your skin or the purchase power that you have or that your family has had, 
or how much education you've been able to access or where you were born. So you're better if you were born in Europe or in the United States, uh, things like that, that we cannot, or you, you know, your gender, things that we cannot control. So we have this unspoken hierarchy in society uh, and that's, that's supremacy culture. We've created this hierarchy where we decided the people that are the higher in the hierarchy are all of these people that are white and male and rich and educated in you know proper academia because we're all educated um and so we've created those stratifications but we don't look at individuals and we don't um yeah we don't look at individuals anymore we just give people privilege societal privilege i'm not talking about that people that are in those places don't have hard times, we all do, but we give them societal privilege and our implicit biases. So implicit biases are biases that we have that are subconscious. We, we don't have, we are not conscious of them. Uh, our implicit societal biases about people that are higher up in the hierarchy are good. And at the same time, our implicit biases of people that are lower in the hierarchy are negative biases. So, you know, that's why when a lot of people see a black person walking down the street, they think danger. Your brain is just responding to an implicit bias that has been implanted into you by the culture that you were raised in. So the biases that I had about Muslim people, Muslims are bad people. That's, that's what I've been told. They hate Christians. That's what I've been told. And then proximity, sitting in front of Muslim people and meeting them, I was like, oh, that's not what they think at all. Um, and so supremacy culture exists all throughout the world, and a lot of it has been pushed by Christian narratives, or it has been supported by Christian narratives. So, for instance, the idea of race didn't exist. So ethnic, by, ethnic discrimination existed, has existed for always, but racial discrimination didn't exist until Christianity started creating the notions of race. It was, yeah. So how are you differentiating ethnicity from race what's the distinction there totally um ethnicity is just kind of like where you were born the people that you know are around you so my ethnicity is i'm colombian i'm a you know i'm colombian i'm latin american that's my ethnicity but my race is the color of your skin like the race is color of your skin regardless of where you were born um so white uh, and funnily enough brown people are not a race so we don't exist because the goal of white supremacy was to erase brown people uh, because indigenous people, you know, the goal was to erase them. So brown is not a race. It's black and white. That's the dualism of race. So black and white and then brown is irrelevant. They were indigenous people. It was like indigenous. We don't care the color of their skin. They're indigenous. And the, the goal was to eradicate us because they wanted the land. Okay. So that's so uh, if you if you read anything of the time, they wanted black people to procreate because they needed working hands and they wanted indigenous people to die because they wanted our land. So the, the, the racial discrimination, the racial abuse against black people and indigenous people is very different historically too. And we can, we could talk about that forever. But yeah, so ethnic discrimination has always existed. And you can read that in the Bible, you can read that in any narratives, right? Um, we don't like Samaritans, we don't like these other people, we don't like the Gentiles. The Canaanites, oh God, yeah. Right. All of that is ethnic discrimination or ethnic biases that people have. And if you look at Jesus, Jesus breaks down all of them all the time. Right. Like all the time he's talking to the Samaritans. People, Why are you talking to the Samaritans? He's like, oh, I don't know. Why not? Why not? Let me let me have proximity. Let me have proximity. 
Um, and so we have all of these implicit biases in our brain. And I learned that. And the more that I started unpacking my implicit biases and realizing that I had been told certain things and certain narratives about fat people, about black people, about my own brown people, about um, being an immigrant, you know, immigrant people. Because I have the amount of times that I was told inside of the evangelical church that I was one of the good ones is amazing. Uh, and what does that mean, right? Like, I you know, they are telling me that there is other bad immigrants. There is these bad immigrants because they crossed the border in certain ways, not understanding that I had accessibility to things that they didn't. Um, so I start unpacking all of my biases and I recognize that a lot of the negative biases that I have about people are rooted in supremacy culture and have been given to me by Christianity. You know, I've been told a lot of things. I, I was told that people can be happy outside of Christianity, that people can be good without Christianity. And there is no actual empirical evidence of this. But when that's all you've been told your whole entire life, it's your reality. And I started challenging that reality and meeting people because I wanted to know them and getting closer to people. So I started finding specific voices that I had been told were dangerous. I started looking for transgender people because I wanted to learn, I wanted to understand. Was I super uncomfortable about some of the things that they were saying? Yeah, I was very, very uncomfortable, but I sat through my discomfort because I wanted to learn and understand. And so I started reading books from black theologians. I started reading about liberation theology, which is actually from Latin America and um, seeing these theologians that were committed to the poor, that wanted to be close to the poor. Um, and I, it was just beautiful. It was these that I, things that I had been told were dangerous and bad, you know, because these are Catholics and inside of evangelicalism, Catholics are not real Christians. And I'm listening to these Catholic priests talking about the poor and this commitment to if your theology is not making the life of the poor better, then what is your theology onto anyways? And I was being challenged in all possible ways. I was being confronted with my own internalized racism, with my own internalized misogyny, with my fat phobia, with all of these ideas about myself and the other. Um, I had, and so I started, you know, just, I wanted to be a better person. And to be a better person, I needed to challenge the harmful, abusive beliefs that I had been given about the other. Awesome, yeah, thank you. Oh my gosh, I have like a bunch of questions going in opposing directions. So I'm like having to sort through, oh God. Um, okay, so you were saying in Christianity, you were like, okay, the difference between saying that Christianity is the true religion and everything else is wrong or not true or less than or whatever is synonymous with saying that white people are the right race, the dominant race, the important race, the good race, whatever, and other colors are bad, right? right. Like you're saying, you were like, those are the same thing in terms of, value like what's being asserted here so i want to represent some of the people who are listening to this are probably like uh that's not the same for whatever reason so when they're like thinking about this they're like you know, like evangelical christians are like hey except for we actually believe that jesus is the only way to the father because of the bible what would you say to that thought process when it comes to that idea um it is fair that you feel that way like absolutely you feel that way um but like I said, first, the Vedas were written way before Christian narratives. And the Vedas actually say this, like they say, we are the word of God. The Quran says they are the word of God. All of these different religions believe that they are the ultimate 
you know, in a, in a way, they are the ultimate. And the way that I learned to read that is we are the ultimate truth for this group of people. We are the truth for this group of people. Jesus, Jesus never really talks theology with anybody but Jewish people. You know, because even when he's talking to Samaritans, Samaritans understood Jewish theology. Samaritans were mixed people. They were Jewish people, too. Um, and so he's having conversations with people that understand what he's talking about. So when he says, I am the way, the truth and the life, he's not talking about Gentiles. He's not talking about anybody outside of the Jewish people. He, he never intended to start a religion that was going to become a weapon of empire to move and take over the entire land all over the world. That became the goal of the Roman Empire, but that was never the goal of Jesus. And if you read the, the, the narratives of Jesus and the words of Jesus, Jesus is inviting Jewish people to have a more healthy relationship with their faith. That is the invitation. The invitation is some of the narratives and some of the ways in which you are practicing your faith, which is um, something I just talked about recently, orthopraxy, the way in which you live out your beliefs is a very important concept inside of Judaism. Judaism has a lot of conversations about how do we practice our beliefs and is this good for us? Is this healthy for us? Is this helpful for our communities? Those are the conversations and the debates that happen inside of Jewish um, spaces often and have happened for always. Christianity was never really, well, it was, but the moment that Christianity became the official religion of the empire, Christianity wasn't concerned with orthopraxy. It wasn't about are we practicing our beliefs in a good way or not? It was concerned with orthodoxy. Do we have the right beliefs? And anybody who doesn't have the right beliefs is considered a heretic. That's a weapon of empire. Um, and if you know anything about Christian history, uh, you know that the, the moment that they said it's illegal to not be a Christian, because they did that. Um, you know, Co Constantine didn't do that, but it was later, Theodosius I. He said, if you're not a Christian, then you're illegal. It's illegal for you. And people that were not Christians started being persecuted, but more so people that were not believing the things that the empire was saying were acceptable theology were also being persecuted and murdered because they were heretics. That hasn't changed. We are still doing the same thing. You know, I'm not being, the only reason I am not put up on a post to be burned is because it's illegal to do that now. But <laughs> the way I'm spoken to, the way that people treat me inside of Christian spaces, just because I am challenging some notions. Nothing of what I am saying, by the way, has not been said all through history. People think that universalism, for instance, the, the belief that everybody will end up in heaven. I don't believe that, but a lot of people believe that. They think that universalism isn't new. It's like this modern thing. The first conversation I found of universalism dates from the one, 150s, second century. They've been having these conversations for always. Ideas of the cosmic Christ, which is a huge conversation, and you can Google about the cosmic Christ, which is something that I do believe. Cosmic Christ ideologies come from Gnostic theology, which are, you know, from the get-go. We're talking about all of these things. We're having, people were discussing theology. Discussing theology was part of the Judaism, like Judaism, the practice of Judaism included discussing theology. Let's sit down and discuss theology. What do you think? How do you see that? How do you experience that? How do you live that out? And is this good for us? Christianity was thinking, these are the right beliefs. We need you to just do what we say. Those are two very different practices. Totally. Okay, so when you mentioned the word Gnostic, I know people, that's another trigger word specifically for evangelicals, right? Because New Testament authors are explicitly warning against Gnosticism and the Gnostic, right? Um, how do you reconcile, you know, your 
connection to an affiliation with Christianity in whatever form that's taking and the New Testament authors warning against Gnostic beliefs. Like, how do you reconcile that? Yeah, well, there are a lot of Gnostic, there are a lot of Gnostic beliefs that are super harmful. Uh, and yeah, they should have been discarded for sure. But the same is true for all, all of the lines of belief. The reason why Christianity has so many different denominations is because people are like, mm -mm, that doesn't seem good. And other people are like, we like it. And then instead of sitting down and discussing things together, it's like, well, then we'll start our own thing. Uh, so yeah, not a lot of Gnostic beliefs are problematic. You know, these like a lot of these ideas of a lesser God and all of that is, is problematic. But some of the ideas of Gnosticism are beautiful. And it's the same with all theology. If we are able to engage theology for the purpose of understanding, for the purpose of having a greater knowledge, what I call that elevating our consciousness, for the purpose of elevating our consciousness, having a greater consciousness and awareness of the world around us, then we're able to look at all theology and be like, that's weird. But then look at some other theology and be like, oh, but some of this is beautiful. Some of this is absolutely beautiful. So I do that with all theology. So some Gnostic ideas, I'm like, nope, I, I don't like that. And I discard them. But some Gnostic ideas I think are stunning and I keep them. And I do the same with evangelical theology and everybody should. Nice. Can you, would you mind sharing a few Gnostic beliefs? You're like, hey, this is beautiful, but it, and it finds its, you know, yeah. root origin in Gnostic beliefs. So this is rooted in Gnosticism, but obviously it has evolved because Gnosticism is from the second century. So, you know, we know more now, but the idea of Jesus as a human that was, um, he wasn't divine for Gnostics, you know, so he, they call, they say that there is this lesser divinity, but in my eyes, they were just trying to explain things. But for Gnostics, Jesus wasn't divine. He was just a human that was enlightened. Um, I love that. And I, I subscribe to that idea too. I don't think Jesus was divine. By the way, Jesus didn't think he was divine either. It would be um, blasphemy for a Jewish person to think that they are divine. It, it would be complete blasphemy. And if you look through the, especially the, uh, the, the three first gospels, I forgot the word of those, the synoptic. If you look through the synoptic gospels, there is no mention of Jesus as God at, at all, like whatsoever. We start having ideas of Jesus as God with the book of John and with narratives of Paul. And if you know the order in which these books were written, those are written a hundred, almost a hundred years after Jesus is dead. And they are trying to understand why is Jesus not back? Because the belief at the time was that Jesus was going to be literally physically resurrected and stay with them and establish the kingdom of heaven on earth right there. That was the Jewish belief. The apocalyptic Jewish belief is he's going to come back and establish the kingdom and we are not going to be an oppressed people anymore. The kingdom is going to look much like the kingdom of Solomon where we were respected and people came to look at us. Um, so that was the expectation. And when Jesus doesn't come back, they are trying to figure out why is Jesus not coming back. So they start to share narratives of maybe didn't maybe what he was talking about was more a spiritual reality and not a physical reality. And maybe, maybe he was God and maybe he's at the right side of the father and maybe. And so these are all ideologies and theologies that were never shared specifically by Jesus, but were shared with people much later after Jesus. Um, so they are Gnostics are trying to explain that thing too. And for Gnostics, Jesus was not divine, but he was enlightened. And so there is in all of those ideas are rooted 
the notion of the cosmic Christ or what um, Richard Rohr calls the universal Christ, um, which are from the second century. Like Richard Rohr isn't saying anything that hasn't been said for, I don't know, 1700 years. Um, so this idea that the Christ is enlightenment, not its enlightenment, not Jesus exclusively. Jesus was a part of the Christ, but not exclusively the Christ. And the Christ is in you and in me. And as we embody the one that we were created to be, as we embody the image of God that we were created in, we become the Christ in the world. So narratives of you are, um, you are walking epistles that we find in the New Testament are then make sense because that means that I am just like Jesus was the walking word of God. So am I if I am embodying the one that I was created to be. Um, and if you know anything about trauma and if you know anything about healing from trauma and your higher self versus your traumatized self, then all of these really make sense with neuroscience now too. Like it doesn't even challenge neuroscience, quite the opposite. It's a brilliant way of ancient people being able to explain the human experience without having the tools of neuroscience. Like if you, if you are able to take away all of the toxicity of it, um, it's actually brilliant. The entire book, the, the entire books of the Bible are absolutely brilliant. People were incredible and they were able to observe human behavior and write really incredible things. But to be able to see the beauty in all of them, we have to be able to engage with them. And when you're told this is what you have to believe and this is how you have to read these things, um, you're not doing that anymore. You're being indoctrinated. Yeah, totally. Okay, so at this point... <laughs> When we're talking about theology and sources and other religions and other books and the word of God on Christians. I don't know if it's just Christians, but Christians especially get very twitchy when you touch the inerrant, authoritative, infallible word of God, AKA yeah. the Bible, right? In which you're obviously just like dancing all over. What are, what do you say to the people who, who are listening now are like, oh God, I can't even listen to the rest of this. This woman is, you know, leading us into deception and heresy and, She's, you know, all these labels and things that they're probably, you know, having to erect to protect themselves from the threat of being deceived and believing things that aren't true anymore and all this stuff. How, what would you say to those people? How do you reconcile, at least for them, if you can, for them, what you're saying versus this, the Bible is the word of God and you're telling me, yeah, what, can you speak to that? Uh, yeah, the Bible doesn't say the Bible is the word of God, but even if it did, that is a logical fallacy because I can't prove that I'm something because I say that I am, right? And even if it did, again, the Vedas say that they are the word of God. The Quran says that it is the word of God. There are different narratives throughout the his throughout history that they say they are the word of God, the Kobol Vu. Um, believing that they are wrong and the Bible is right, is it's absolutely subjective. You choose that. You choose to believe that the Vedas are wrong, even though they are way more ancient than Christianity. Uh, you choose to believe that they are wrong and the Bible is right about what it says about itself. That's a choice. That's a choice. That's it. Now, what the Bible does say, the Bible says a lot of things. The Bible says that scripture is inspired by God, right? And that's the verse that people use the most when I say that the Bible is not the word of God. The Bible says that Christ is the word of God. And making the Bible the word of God is, it's really problematic in many ways. And it actually makes the Bible less beautiful than it is. Um, because then you are not realizing that the Bible is still, like the word of God is still being written. It's not over. 
We are still writing the words of God by the actions that we take, by the things that we do, by the ways in which we move. And also it's taking this ancient book and moving it out of context. The Bible wasn't written for Western people in the 21st century. It wasn't. Uh, and if we read it as the word of God, then we are cherry picking the things that are going to work for us. So people say you cherry pick. And I'm like, not really, because I read the entire book as ancient, the entire books as ancient narratives of wisdom and some history and some folk and some, um, you know, poetry and music. And it's, it's a way of looking into some of our ancestors and some of the beliefs, where do they come from? But if I read it as the absolute word of God and I have to do everything that is in there, then I have to cherry pick because we don't stone people anymore because we don't believe a lot of, a lot of things that we know now are not true. We can say like, oh, that worked for them back then because they didn't have better tools, but it doesn't work for us now. Like nobody is paying dads to buy a woman. We don't do that anymore. We don't have to do that anymore because we've evolved. We've, we, we know things are different now. Mm -hmm. A quote I want to pull out of this interview is, nobody is paying dads to buy a woman anymore. No. That's, that's a quote from the podcast. <laughs> it's uh, so it's not me who's cherry picking because I don't read it as the word of God. And if you read it as the word of God, and I think that that's the, at the root of a lot of abusive theology, because if you read it as the word of God, then you can justify anything with it. Because according to the Bible, slavery is acceptable. And yes, you can dance around that. And we can talk about how it was a different type of slavery and people were being treated well and all of the things that you want to. But the reality is, and the bottom line of this whole thing is that the transatlantic slave trade and the slavery that people were subjected to here in America comes directly from the Bible. So you can see all of the narratives about it. You can see all of the books about it because of the narratives in the Bible and people read it as the word of God, then slavery was not problematic anymore. They justified dehumanizing behavior because of what was in the Bible, because they were reading it as the word of God, instead of, again, going back to orthopraxy, they were not concerned with, does this, is this okay? Like, does this align? If you're going to compare anything to the word of God, then we have to talk about like, okay, it does say the scriptures are all inspired by God. And the word inspired by God is one word. Inspired by God is just one word that Paul made up. It doesn't exist. He made it up. And it's the word that is breath, like breathed by God. So you can interpret that however you want to, right? Um, however, I don't know if it's happened to you, but I've read books and I've read things that have changed me. And I call that inspired by God. And they haven't been the Bible. They're having books and narratives and things that I've read that I'm like, this unlocked something inside of me. It connected with me in a very deep, a meaningful way. And I call that inspired by God. Does that mean that everything is the word of God though? Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe not. But so there is, that's one thing. And then the other thing is that Jewish people did believe that a lot of their, like their narratives are the word of God, not any of the New Testament, what they call the New Testament. I don't like calling it the New Testament because um, we can talk about supersessionism, but what we call the, the Greek books of the Bible, the books that are written in Greek, uh, those were not considered the word of God by any Jewish person. And none of the books of the Bible say that they are the word of God. So if you want to talk about the word of God being the law and the prophets, sure, let's say that. But Jesus does summarize the law and the prophets into two. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. 
So if you want to say that that's the word of God, those two, great. Compare everything that we do and everything that we subject people to, to those two. Is this love? And we don't get to determine what's love. People that receive it get to determine what's love. Because I don't get to punch you in the face and tell you that I do it because I love you. When your experience is that I hate you, you know, because Christians are very good. We're very good at doing that. Why not? I, I love you. It's called tough love. No, that's abuse. Tough love is just abuse. And we're going to call it abuse. So if we want to, you know, is this making people's lives better? Is this making people get closer to divinity, get closer to love, get closer to acceptance? Uh, and if it's not, then it's not the word of God. But the beauty of seeing the word of God as something that goes beyond the Bible, like can the word of God, parts of the word of God be in the Bible? Totally. Yes. It's beautiful. It's insightful. I read it all the time. And I learn so much. But when I read the Quran, I learn a lot too. And when I read the Vedas, the Vedas are super interesting, by the way. Everybody should read them. When I read the Popol Vuh, I learn a lot. When I read all of these books that I read all the time, um, perhaps we can call all of those the word of God too then because they are this incredible work of people that sat down to think about really complex things to be able to make the life of others better and the life of themselves better. Uh, if, you, if you read Parable of the Sower, if you read anything by James Baldwin, yeah, you can absolutely tell that divinity, the divinity inside of him was coming out through words. And so I don't limit the word of God to the Bible because first, it's a logical fallacy. Second, the Bible doesn't say that it is the word of God. And third, it, that idea is rooted in supremacy culture. The idea that our book, our narrative is better than anybody else's narrative when all of these other narratives are stunning. And by the way, for those who don't know, uh, a lot of narratives in Christianity are borrowed from Zoroastrianism, are borrowed from ancient Near East beliefs. Um, a lot of the things that are in the Vedas were taken and put in the Bible. So this gets complex the more you study and the more you realize that these, all of these ideas are just humans sharing, like, how do we make sense of this experiment that we call life? Nice. Joe, my goodness. We're going to close this episode. Um, we got to move on. But you guys, thank you so much for chiming in. Joe, thank you for dropping grenades. You guys, if you have questions, things you feel deeply concerned about, you want to talk about whatever, please feel free to reach out to us, contact at mikemeyershow.com. You can reach out to my team. But Joe, by the way, while we're here, do you have any resources or things like if people wanted to get further into stuff you're saying, where would you point them? Is there anything in, connected to what you're doing that they could plug into? Yeah, I actually have lists of books and I started making lists of resources because people thought that I was making things up. And I was like, <laughs> no, this is all like things I've read. Um, so if you go to my website, like joeluman.com, then you can find my list of resources and you can find different information. So just just sit with different books and read and it's it's you're going to be enlightened. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. We're going to wrap this episode up, you guys. Remember, this is series, so we're going to have Joe back. She's going to, we're going to talk about some other things, get a little messier, but thanks for being here, Joe. We'll see you at our next episode. Hey, just wanted to chime in real quick. Listen, deconstruction is not for the faint of heart. It takes a lot of work. It takes resilience. We probably need some help around us, support to keep us from going crazy. I totally get it. 
So if that's you, I wanted to let you know about a couple of solutions available over in my world in case you needed some support or help along your deconstruction journey. So first of all, I wanna make sure you know about NUMA Plus. We have a deconstruction series that's available on there where I help with some intro dialogue, some questions to be asking, some things to consider, some talking points, some teaching that can hopefully help answer some questions, maybe provide some questions, hopefully validate and affirm your own process, but ultimately just to be there to support you in this journey. But then to an even greater degree, I have a mentorship group called Ashes. This is specifically for people who are deconstructing. Most of the people in this group have been people who were raised in Christianity, who have been cultured in a community of faith, have a deep value for God and love and truth, but have recognized that there's a system of oppression in the church that we've had to divest from, that there are ideas in the theology we were raised in that are actually not serving us anymore and are actually really harmful to the world. And that's a lot of things to have to sort through and detangle and things to separate and not throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? I get it. So if that's you and you would love some support and be with like-minded people going on that same journey, Ashes is for you. Join us. The links are provided below. I know Joe has provoked a lot of things in this episode. I want to make sure you don't feel like this is played open. There are answers, there are solutions, there's help for you. Thanks for checking this out. See you next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.